You are listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, spine number 56, 1984's Silent Night, Deadly Night, and a stocking stuffed full of holiday slashers. Featuring Crank Collars, Drunk Sorority Girls, Abusive Nuns, Murderous Twins, PCP-Addicted Bodybuilders, Axe-Wielding Pilgrims, Axe-Wielding Santas, New Wave Panty Droppers, Horny Cops, Softcore Porn Stars, Creepy Magicians, Time Warps, and Cranberry Sauce. Martin. Yes. Garbage Day! <laughs> There's watching Santa's waiting Christmas Eve is slowly Welcome back to another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Martin Carlson. Martin, we're doing more slashers, only this time we're wearing Santa hats. Happy holidays. No more singing. That's not That's not what we're here for. We're here for the blood and, and, and the boobs. And there's a couple songs I do want to get to, though. Oh, man. There's a lot of really good music in uh, the, this whole kind of bevy of holiday slashers that we're covering because I guess we... Let's face it, it was just an excuse to do another episode on slasher movies. If you've listened to this podcast ever, you know that we're completely obsessed with them. And now we have uh, Eli Roth releasing Thanksgiving, you know, the almost 20-year belated like feature film. Yeah, 16 years. Yeah, yeah like uh, that's the adaptation of, you know, the Grindhouse trailer uh, that came out in, you know, in between uh, Planet Terror and Death Proof. And an idea he and his friend had when they were kids, Jeff Rendell. Yeah, like yeah. they, I was listening to an interview with Eli. I think it was on The Big Picture where he said that he's like literally had this movie in his head since he was like 12. Yeah. And like was just obsessed with slashers. And you can kind of feel that now yeah. as a guy and like he's got to, he's what, in his late 40s? Yeah, he's probably almost 50. Point? Yeah. Yeah. So like, He's a little older than we are, about a decade older, we'll say. But, like, he's literally now lived through uh, the entire slasher cycle Mm -hmm. and the multiple slasher cycles and rebirths and postmodernism and yada, yada, yada. And that's the interesting about watching Thanksgiving is that you can feel almost all of the eras in it. It's the thing that I really, really loved about it is that it feels like an old school slasher that you know basically gestated through the 80s and then got to see the uh postmodern post scream Kevin Williamson kind of slasher boom that's now you know frankly in a revival yeah uh in the 2000s and then uh you know he did his own thing with doing like torture porn with the hostile films and everything and now it's back and that the most incredible thing about Thanksgiving I, that I was watching uh, or that I noted to myself when I was watching is that it feels modern, even though it's a throwback because it, it's not scared of technology. It incorporates like viral videos and like, 
um, how kids would react and, and uh, cancel culture and everything. And it's, it's, it, it, it feels like an idea that has lived through so many different permutations and is kind of like mutated over time. And now we get this frankly fucking awesome slasher film as a result. Yeah. It's um, to your point about technology though. It's none of that is a gimmick. Cause that's no, one of my problems. It all feels natural with a lot of like modern horror is where they're like, okay, if we're going to have cell phones, it's gotta be like a really elaborate thing versus like a kind of a good, it's almost what he does with the idea of them getting these um, messages on Instagram, like basically being invited to this, you know, you're going to die at this table. Yeah. It's, it's, it's happy. It's happy birthday to me. Yeah. It's that, 100%. it's that with Instagram. Yeah. It's, it's just the same exactly. Thing. It's just, yeah. it's just through a modern lens. And the same thing with like the whole prologue is that it's essentially, you know, a, a prom night style prologue, something bad happens. Yep. To one of the characters, and then you flash forward a year, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody, a masked villain, is is having his revenge, and it becomes kind of like a who done it. But the actual intro is is through a Black Friday stampede video, which turns into just a complete massacre. And you know, one of the characters dies, and that she becomes the let's say like impetus for the rest of the movie, but it's, it's an old formula done just in, in like a modern way. It's something you said when we talked about um, with about a uh, Ty West is it just does the thing, you know? And that's why I, liked, yeah. I was watching it and, and why you said it's, it's, it references and is inspired by many generations of slashers. It's a straightforward non meta movie. Like we, especially with like the newer screen films kind of being somewhat lost in the new meta ness of like, oh, we got to keep it. That's what people want from Scream. This is like, it all has to be self reflexive. It's this is, yeah. And this is just like, it does the thing, but also it's for fans, but you can watch it with no context on the slashers at all. And it's just a banger slasher. And it, the tone. It's also fucking funny. Well, the tone is perfect because it like, you can the the villain is like powerful and scary and and you're like oh shit the deaths are truly like kind of like mind grotesque. blowing grotesque but kind of again fun and not mean just like oh oh fuck the corn cob like ear puncturing is is like with the with the corn cob holders is fucking awesome yeah the 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 um the putting her face in the cold water and then sticking it against the freezer door awesome and just peeling it off like um, but no, I was just really, I was just really impressed by, again, like you were saying, it really references like, but for me, it, it references a lot of, um, again, the permutations of slashers, but specifically the 1980-81 era. Like you were saying, like Prom Night, The Prowler, My Bloody Valentine, all the fucking way. The oh, idea yeah. of like, here's this town, that's entire motivation for being slash personality is about one day, Thanksgiving. Which doesn't seem completely... It's the same way, you know, Valentine Bluffs, my bloody Valentine. It pl- puts it all into, we all have this history. We all have this, like you said, past trauma. Maybe we shouldn't even have Black Friday. The whole buildup of that is like the Valentine's dance, mm-hmm. you know? And the idea of, you know, is Harry Warden back kind of feel um, like what's going on. But also it really pulls in... I mean, everything, the whole love triangle thing is full on my buddy Valentine. It's like TJ, oh, yeah. like, who's she going to choose? Is one of them the killer? Maybe. 
you know? And But according to, to Roth in that same interview, like, the whole idea of, like, Thanksgiving being a huge part of, of the culture is that that's how he grew up. And he said in New England, like, Thanksgiving really is, like, that huge. Like, it dominates... Yeah. But this is an arch version of oh that, my god obviously. yeah it's, I mean, it's, it's a completely preposterous version of yeah. it it I agreed but it I do like that he's drawing from basically his own experience because let's also be frank there's the most weaponized uh, Boston accents uh, in this movie since The Departed we'll say because it's yeah. just man dudes are just screeching in that fucking. You fucking piece of shit, you fucking cocksucker. I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, just yelling at each other the whole time. Even uh, Patrick Dempsey, who I guess is really from Maine. Oh, okay. Um, it is slipping in and out of a New England accent. And, man, it's that's, again, but it's part of this whole kind of miasma that he creates. And it's a perfect tone um, because the jokes, too, are they're part. They're kind of like the rest of his movies to where, like, you know, the original Hostel starts as almost like a National Lampoon film that yeah, just like a senior you know, trip transforms kind of thing, yeah. into a torture porn movie. Um, Hostel 2 has a little less of, than that because that movie is much more grim. I mean, Cabin Fever all the way. Cabin Fever all the way. I mean, Green Inferno is also super goofy because, I mean, he talks about in that interview how the, the original like seed for the idea for Green Inferno is that I guess he was having a conversation with Diablo Cody and was like, he told a joke, something about, Oh, what if a bunch of cannibals got stoned and got the munchies? And she was like, Oh shit, you have to make that movie. (laughs) And that's where it came up. So you have the whole, like, let's get the cannibal stoned, like sequence in green Inferno, but even green Inferno has like a very, as, as gross and pulling from that very gnarly kind of strain of Italian cinema that it is, it's funny. It's it's trying to be a stoner comedy. It has like all of the very weird like anti SJW language in it that's hasn't aged the best, we'll yeah. say. Probably wasn't great in the moment either. Um but I mean Eli Roth is is truly created one of my favorite movies of the year. And like, again, one of the inspirations for this podcast wasn't just that movie is that we also got, it's a wonderful knife from Michael Kennedy, who was, you know, the writer of freaky, uh, that Christopher Landon, you know, the, the director of the happy death day movies directed with, uh, uh, Vince Vaughn. And, you know, it's a wonderful knife is essentially like, it's part of a sub 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 genre. Of, of horror movies, which is like it's almost a sub-slasher movie where it's this latest kind of craze that's occurring within slashers that, frankly, the Happy Death Day movies kind of spawned, we'll say, through their popularity, is that it's like, it's X but a slasher. It's like yeah. the original Happy Death Day is it's Groundhog Day, but as a slasher. The second Happy Death Day is... It's my science project or Back to the Future 2, yeah. you always say, but a slasher. Freaky is, it's Freaky Friday, but a slasher. And It's a Wonderful Knife, if you can't tell from the fucking title, is It's a Wonderful Life as a slasher. But 
it's a lot of fun because there's a lot of weird time travel. The whole idea of like a final girl becoming our George Bailey is, is pretty clever. And frankly, it has Justin Long, you know, who's become, you know, horror's most reliable goofball, um, really going for it in another totally bizarre performance that it's not as ingenious as his turn in Barbarian, but like he plays this like town real estate slash mayor of this like little snowy kind of hamlet uh, who has these big like horse teeth, like dentures. He talks with a strange lisp. He has like almost like frosted tip hair and he, he's doing a thing and you just like, Every time he he's become one of those dudes, like every time he shows up in a movie, especially horror movies, I'm just like, oh, this is at least two and a half stars <laughs> just because of him, because he's so much fun to watch. He's so game. And like, you can tell that, you know, even in like movies that I didn't like, even non horror movies, like, um, what was the porno movie that, uh, Kevin Smith, made? Zach and Mary, Zach make a porn. And Mary he's make a porn. hilarious in that one yeah, scene that, the movie's not great. It's pretty funny yeah. at times, but it's not great. But man, he when he comes back as the gay porn star, some of the shit that comes out of his mouth is so fucking funny. But again, it's just like every time he shows up in a movie, I'm just like, oh, Justin Long's here. I'm at least going to like part of this. Yeah. Um, but you have that. And then also in the non-horror uh, kind of arena, we have John Woo making Silent Night. Um, frankly... One of my favorite movies of the year. And I know it's become a very, let's say, divisive title with a lot of folks. There's a lot of people basically being like, eh, it doesn't rank with the best of John Woo stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, of course it fucking doesn't. Did you go in thinking it was going to be the killer? Like, this isn't fucking 1989, dude. We're It's 2023. Like, we should be thankful that we're even getting a theatrically released John Woo movie at this point. And the fact that it's this kind of wild experimental action film with no dialogue that takes Christmas as a setting and becomes almost like John Woo's death wish. Fuck yeah, man. And like, I know a lot of people and you're one of them. Like you, you like it a lot too. Yeah. Uh, but you even kind of complained a little bit where you're like, eh, it takes a while to build up and you don't have quite enough action, which I sort of agree with, but I really get into the melodrama of his movies. Um, but man, that final like 20 or so minutes is like vintage John Woo, just bloodletting. Yeah. When it gets going, I mean, I, I love seeing it with you in the theater, like, and one of our first episodes was hard target. So like our, you know, our love for Woo runs deep. Um, and we showed hard boiled when we were doing the screenings and, um, what I really liked about it, like I, I do, again, I think it needs about one or two more action scenes in the first half just to like, even if they're flashbacks or something, just to like really spice it up because 40 minutes of him like training and no dialogue, it's it's a little excessive. It is, but again, I think if you watch it in the the mindset of like, like imagine he was making this movie in 1989 or 1990 in Hong Kong with like, you Tony Leung, Tony Lung or, yeah. or, or Anthony Wong or one of these guys like and it was just a weird experimental kind of like action movie like that's the type of melodrama that he kind of traded in and those movies traded in in that time period so it kind of fits with his classic stuff it just you either get into it or you don't but I mean 
the second act, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that you are slightly resistant to it. Again, you, you like it a lot too. Um, so I don't want to like overstate that your, your criticisms of it, but like, it's kind of the Rocky four of action movies because it becomes one long training montage for a minute. And dude, I really like, uh, Joel Kinnaman in it. Like, I think he's quite good. I think he's probably a detriment to the film, in my opinion. Really? Uh, I was talking to my brother about it after just kind of downloading for him. He's a huge Wu fan, too. And we're both like, what if Joel Kinnaman kind of sucks? And I like him a lot. Only thing, I he's think, like a dark dimension Skarsgård. He can do, I think, one thing really well. And that is his character from um, The Killing. And he did a, he did the exact same voice for the RoboCop remake, where he plays this like street, yeah. like because he's a he's a Swede, is you know yeah he's a full Swede as well, and like has a very thick Swedish accent. But the kind of his American is always like, it's hey. that mumbly. Yeah, he's like, hey, how you doing? What's up, little man? You know, he's got to do this like he's almost like the Idris Elba of Swedish people. Agreed, because he he covers it. He can't quite do a straight like flat American accent. But I was reading a review that it's like he. He kind of has one mode, and that's like grimace. And when he's silent, like it's, you just kind of have this grimace look. Again, I'm fine with it. I I think he has a great face, though. Oh, he's very and he's he's handsome, and it's it's got some really interesting like lines on his cheeks. The way, especially as he's gotten older. Um, but what I like about the film when it's, when it really gets to the action is that like I was surprised you only get one moment of double fisting and you can see it's like a wink to the audience, right? Of like it's um, Kid Cutie. Um, uh, shooting, you know, double fisting it, and you get some real heroic bloodshed team up, like in the in the last like ten minutes out of nowhere. Yeah, and it's it's and so there's all these like little elements of like you know throwbacks that aren't too heavy, but what I thought was cool too coming from Lionsgate and basically coming from like the behind the scenes team of John Wick in terms of production. Um, yeah, because it's Thunder Road. Yeah, it's all of that, and and it's kind of like how they did Nobody as well. You know, it's like. We're you know not creating a universe, but it's like you know what you're going to get with this kind of film. But I mean, nobody's wasn't nobody written by Derek Kolstad. Yeah, and it's it's technically in the world. Yeah, they said, but but this one in particular, I thought was was interesting because you know, especially by John McFour, which I love. I mean, it's about sheer numbers too. I mean, he must kill a thousand people in that movie, right? I think there's probably twenty deaths at the end of this movie. Like every death has more impact, and it's much more like woo stylish like everything has a punctuation to it and i also we talked about it after seeing it like the whole the whole like kind of like um raid redemption making your way up like the tower or like the dread movie up the tower i'm all about that um and the villain being kind of reminding me with his like perch up there of the villain from uh, crow city of angels this oh like, yeah it's like comic book almost like a dark horse comics Kind of movie. It's really weird too because, like, he, he, like, Wu leans into the cartoonishness of it all where he's like slow dancing with his heroin addicted yep. girlfriend, like, in the middle of this, like, gunfight. But again, these are all these weird little touches that I was like, I'm into this. Like, it, it's John Wu being John Wu and kind of giving us one last talk about it, another master returning in yeah. a year of masters returning. Cause you know, he joins like Michael Mann and Martin Scorsese and everything. Uh, and it's, it, it really, I don't know. It tickled me. I, I quite enjoyed this movie. Oh, I did too. I mean, it was, it was a really fun theater experience to like seeing it with you and like a new woo. 
because it is like one of those filmmakers where it's so few and far between now. Um, and it's been a while since we've had a great movie from him. And this is a great movie. It just I just have issues with the first half. And if you do have time, you should check out uh, from our buddy Simon Abrams. He did a a very long, in depth interview with Wu uh, for the New Yorker. It's quite the the nice little piece that he put together. Hell yeah! But we're not here to talk about the present. We're here to talk about the past and a movie that's very near and dear to our black hearts with Silent Night, Deadly Night. And we, we used, you know, all of these modern movies and, and kind of getting excited about them as an excuse to go back and watch a whole treasure trove of very gnarly, mean-spirited, mostly 80s movies that, you know... Running the gamut of quality. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're going through the spectrum here, man. But, like, they're also, like sleazy even by our standards in some cases well it's i kept thinking about i love all the behind the scenes stuff um about silent night of the night and like it was picketed in new york by like the catholic league of decency like all these and these parents were out front like santa shouldn't kill santa shouldn't kill and it's one of those things well, where became part of the the marketing campaign too is because they also originally it was the the image from the poster yeah, that that really sparked it was that it was Santa coming down the chimney it was the with arm out with the axe, yeah, you know, and that was the thing that really kind of sparked the controversy. But then, you know, the distributor kind of took that and ran with it because I have one of the original one sheets at home that's like this is the movie that they told you not to see. The PTA wanted it banned, the, you know, and it's it, they they knew kind of what they had, and then you actually watch Silent Night, Deadly Night, and you're like, dude, it's one of those movies that honestly, like, I guarantee you the protesters who were protesting the movie didn't actually watch it because if they had, it would have been worse no. because this movie lives up to like the skeezy hype. It's like you so many times, and we've talked about this on the podcast, you know, throughout all of our episodes, especially with, when it comes to like horror and, and video store horror that we kind of grew up with is so many of them had amazing covers. And then you watch them and you're like, this fucking sucks. And also has nothing to do with that great cover that actually got me to rent this movie. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Not one of those totally lives up to it and more. Yeah. It was, I mean, I mentioned it before, but this is another Justin movie with my best buddy from middle school. We were making our way through the video store. We're like, well, time for Christmas. And I remember we watched it and I remember like saying, this shit is fucked up because I was going to make the same point you were that they're already protesting about the idea. Like you see today films get like, you know, kind of quietly canceled or it's like, oh my God, there's this element. This film is an egregious attack on like Christmas itself. And it's fucking It amazing. is the war on Christmas. It is, it is. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's no fucking happy holidays in this movie, man. Like, it is so fucked up. And Santa rapes, oh. Santa murders, Santa holds up fucking convenience stores. Then another Santa. Another Santa who's deaf and a priest gets gunned down in, in front of a bunch of children. Yeah. Nuns beat children. Like, there's one, like, that was the thing as I was texting you when I was revisiting this the other day is the first 20 minutes involve Santa rape, Santa murder, Santa like carjacking, child abuse, like wanton child abuse, 
numerous scenes of kids catching other people fucking, fucking. like it's just a a a real uh tour down like the sleaziest alley that you could imagine and it it only gets worse as the movie goes on. The movie's what, like eighty four minutes <laughs> it's long? Like it's, that, yeah. it's very, very short. They're all around eighty two to eighty four. Yeah, this 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 uh, slew. And Silent Night, Deadly Night two, like, is barely like feature length because half of it's just scenes from the original movie. But like, it's it's one of those weird movies that escalates in a way because it's almost like not necessarily episodic but works in like chapters because mm-hmm. you have, which is another conversation unto itself. When we start talking about the kids who play the main character, but you have Billy, the, the you know, the main character as a little kid who's like, when he's a little, little kid, he's like super cute. Like he's in the back seat. They're, they're driving along to see grandpa, at the old folks home or yeah, I think, no, it's an insane asylum. It's an asylum. It's like a sanitarium. Mm-hmm. And, like, they go to see Grandpa. Have you been good all year? Jesus. That's the scene for your life. that honestly, like, signals what the fuck you're, like, kind of in for. Is that it's about a kid who goes to see his crazy grandpa. And when his parents leave inexplicably him, leave, him, leave alone. him alone with crazy grandpa, crazy grandpa seizes on the opportunity and scares this kid to death. Christmas Eve. It's the most terrifying night of the year. How about you, boy? You been good all year? Like my friend Mike, we quote that all the time. And dude, I I bought there. Was, I was at some comic book shop and they had, or a horror shop, and they had official licensed uh, trading cards for this movie. And the and it had one of them was a sticker, and it was a sticker of Grandpa, and I proudly have it somewhere in this apartment. Grandpa, I think, is one of the all time slasher characters. Like he's up there. Oh with, yeah, he's up there with Radish. And you Final, better run for your, for your life. For your life, like and the, it's there's so many things to love about this movie. I, I got to see it at New. He's Be- almost like if Crazy Ralph was your grandpa. Uh, very much, and I got to see it at New Beverly, a double feature of this with Black Christmas on 35 around Christmas in L.A. It was awesome. This was a yearly uh, staple for Exhumed in Philly. Like I think. Like, I've seen it on the big screen multiple times on 35mm because of them. I think the first time I ever saw it, I know it was at the Broadway Theater in Pittman, New Jersey in the early 2000s. And I believe it played with the Toolbox Murders? That's a good double feature. Weird double feature. Also a mean fucking movie. Real mean. And really horny and sleazy. But I think my favorite element that I, my friend Mike and I, this time of year, especially, I will text him or I'll, I'll send him a voice memo of, and it's always Christmas on the warm side of the door. Like, wow. They, they couldn't afford, like, the rights to a lot of Christmas songs. They wrote, like, five terrible songs for this. Absolutely movie. atrocious. Because they had the whole Santa's watching, Santa's creeping, brand new song. But all the characters. Oh, I didn't it, know that. That's brand new. All the characters in the film know the song. So it's this weird, like, alternate universe where there's other Christmas songs we've never heard before. And which, everyone knows them. Which is sort of amazing. They created their own pop culture. It's for this trashy, no-name, like, late slasher cycle. 
like entry. Really kind of the end of the the, the original slasher oh, boom. This might honestly, be the movie that actually ended. Well, it's because past of all it. the controversy. Because 82 was kind of considered the end of the film. Yeah. But this is like it was kind of creeping on and this was not a big Hollywood. This is obviously still an independent film. Um, but it, it, I think it obviously connects for many reasons to another film, Christmas Evil. Um, both obviously killer Santas, but in a similar way, both have a, it's more of that long intro of like backstory about your killer, almost in a very like um, less of a slasher setup and more of like, this is him as a child. This is the things he saw because Christmas Evil has him, his, his, his original trauma is seeing his parents, his basically Santa Claus banging who's his dad getting ready to eat just his mom out railing his mom. Yeah. And we, and he's, and it's like, he's just like, and he, he sees that and it's like, he buries it deep inside. And for him, it's the opposite of Billy where Billy like hates Santa. I, you know, doesn't want to see Santa. And when he's forced to dress up as Santa, he goes crazy. Now with the guy from Christmas evil, it's more like, no, he respects Christmas so much. Like he loves it. And he's mad about, he the, wants to protect wants the to, sanctity of it. Yeah. He, you know, also he's the opposite. He's, he's the guys who want to fight the war on Christmas and keep it, you know, keep it safe. Cause he even works in an old school toy factory. That's about to get shut down and everything. Yeah. And it's like, um, it's an Edward Pressman film. He produced it. This is two years before Conan, the barbarian, like starring Fiona Apple's dad. Is that really him? Oh yeah. Oh dude. Well, it's got dude. I I took a bunch of like character, but just like actor notes when this um, this has like every New York actor in it. Um, it's got Mark Margulis, often used by um, uh, Aronofsky, Raymond Barry, Peter Friedman, all these people showing up. And it was funny once I started thinking about uh, Aronofsky. The end is like an Aronofsky ending. It's like oh, it's like the whale. It's this it's this moment of like magical realism where he drives he drives his like sleigh slash um, van off the side of a hill, but then it just keeps floating up to the and sky it flies. and it flies. So it's again like the end of the whale or the end of the fountain where it's like reality is gone and it's the symbol becoming reality. But it's like it's, a, it's Christmas evil. It's really weird. Well, and that's the other thing that we should talk about though in relation. Is that like Silent Night, Deadly Night is like a hardcore, disgusting slasher movie that moves from like a young kid watching his mom get raped by Santa and then goes to an orphanage and also like looks like fucking Malachi from uh, Children of the Corn in the second segment. He's like, so ugliest, su- but he's so child sweet ever. too. You feel so bad for him. He feels so bad for that kid. Yeah, but dude, he's ugly as fuck. Like he's yes, yes, fuck mo- ugly. yes, mother superior. Yes, mother superior. Yeah, like, fuck. but he's another one. Also, I had a question: like, why were those grown ass adults having sex in the orphanage? Like, it was it was one of the nuns. That's what I'm saying. The nun is banging, I guess, like a a work dude. Yeah, it's the it's D- such a bizarre. The <laughs> there's a lot of like logic gaps in this movie where you watch it, it almost feels like somebody dreaming in front of you. Or having a nightmare, frankly. But then you have Mother Superior beating the shit out of him. And then you you jump forward again to where Billy's a fucking, like, strapping Hulk. Beefcake. Just super hot, ripped, and goes to be, like, a stock boy in this, like, little shitty, like, toy toy store. Which was clearly almost like a Walgreens that they just blacked the windows out and turned into a toy store for, like, $5. But the background, it was so cool. It was, like, a little, like, a... uh 
a little slice of that time period, like He-Man toys. There's Empire Strikes Back. There's Return of the Jedi oh, stuff there. Oh, there's a there. lot of cool there's shit. There's G.I. Joe. It's, it's like, if you pause it, you're like, oh my God, there's like all the shit that like we grew up with a little bit before our time. You're such a fucking dork. I am. Yeah. You love me. But then he, you know, in another inexplicable turn, the owners of the shop or the manager of the shop, I should say, decides to make Billy dress up as Santa for, for this oncoming Christmas. And so Billy snaps and goes on a murder rampage. And that's the movie. And the murders, when they occur, are awesome. He cuts off someone's head while they're sledding. He impales a Linnea Quigley. Linnea Quigley on a bunch of antlers. Um, as we mentioned before, a, another Santa gets gunned down in front of a bunch of children. Like, this movie just keeps, like, it goes for it so hard. But, like, Christmas Evil is almost more like a... It's like a taxi weird, driver. Yeah, yeah, like a 70s character study about this guy who's slowly kind of going insane and actually, you know, snaps to a degree to where he believes that he's Santa Claus. But also there's this, because I remember, it's another movie that I saw at Exhumed and... uh the the uh, director Lewis Jackson actually showed up because it was when uh, Synapse put out uh, that first oh, kind of cool. DVD edition, and he came and they they sold you know the copies of the DVD and he signed them, but he also brought his personal print plus uh, the outtakes uh, the, of like scenes and like deleted scenes on thirty five millimeter that we basically watched while he oh, led, cool. did like a Q and A and stuff because originally. The title was "You Better Watch Out." Yep, it do it. It shows up. I think the version I watched. Yeah, it's it, on it, Synapse. It, yeah, it pops up. Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. the that's the print that's because Synapse used like his personal got you uh, materials to to actually make that original DVD because to him that was like he didn't see it as a horror movie. Like he actually envisioned it as like a taxi driver style kind of like character. And it plays seventies new Hollywood kind of character thing. But apparently the, it was one of those situations where the producers wanted him to, to steer it more in the direction of horror so they could sell it and everything. And he was an interesting, if sort of curmudgeonly and you could tell kind of had a chip on his shoulder still because of the whole experience sort of dude. But like, that's another one that I saw on, on 35. I mean, I saw black Christmas too because of exhumed films on 35 millimeter. I've seen a lot of these movies. New year's evil is another one that they played uh, that we're going to talk about here in a second that I saw. Like, I like again, because of those guys in, in uh, Philly and Jersey, like all of these titles we're about to, to talk about, like some of them I saw for the first time on the big screen. Yeah, I think I watched all of them on just shitty VHS in like the late 90s in Franklin, Indiana <laughs> from, from Video World. No, there's another moment, though, in uh, Christmas Evil I, I want to mention, and that is because um, there are the I think I, maybe it was purposeful, but as the film goes on, it gets more dreamlike, you know, and. Um, it becomes basically a universal horror movie where he's being like chased with the townsfolk with torches and pitchforks. It's, and it's literally like out of, you know, like in in no reality in New York would that happen, but it's just like, it really is kind of cool. 
and it really works. The movie's great. Well, it's got a budget, and like literally, it references Citizen Kane in the first like minute where that snow globe falls over. It's like it has other things on its mind. It's a very, you know? very strange movie from a guy who who could have possibly gone on to have a better career, but after having frankly seen him in person, you go, "Oh, you, you seem difficult." Yeah, you're lucky to have one brother. So how about To All a Good Night? We're staying with the Killer Santas, 1980, directed by uh, uh, the, the the man himself, David Hess. Scumball Supreme, David Hess. Krug from Last House on the Left. Um, I like this movie. It's a bit of a slog for the first half. Um, also, doesn't make any sense, again, if you start thinking, because it takes place at a girl's finishing school. In California. In California. And the majority of like the movie is like day for like clearly day for night. Yeah. Or stuff. just night with no lights. Yeah. Or just night with no lights. Apparently the movie was shot under in t- like 10 days. So like. You can hardly tell. Yeah. The, the intro, which tries to do kind of like a, a, a prom night yep. style kind of whodunit setup. Like we we're describing with Thanksgiving. Yep. Um. It's like 20 seconds long. Yeah, it's 20 seconds long. Like a girl gets pushed off a balcony in the middle of a... Like it's There's hard. There's no setup. It's literally <laughs> hard to suss out because it takes place at a girl's finishing school, but a bunch of girls are chasing another girl's while yelling sorority. I didn't know that they had sorority. I don't know what a they, finishing they, school is. They don't know. It's, first, it's just a school frank. for girls. It's, yeah. it's like a high school. Yeah, right? It's like it's a, a prep private school. school right? It's a prep school. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like... it's like. Uh, but all these girls are fucking 30. Oh, yeah. It's it. The movie is like uh, to your point, like about the, yeah, the intro, but also like the film. Like a lot of slashers, like this, feels like it was made by an alien who's never met a person. It's, yeah, it's almost like when Donald Trump was talking about like toilet paper and shit like that. And it's like, oh, you, like, or, you pay or, someone to wipe or, your or, ass. or buying groceries and stuff. It's like, oh, you've never been a human. It's like you that ain't with, never gone to the food line with Donald with Trump because like the the. It's all these weird decisions where these girls are like, cool, like the house mom is like kind of, or we're going to put her to bed and like give her like drugs to pass out. And our boy, these boys are going to come, but they're going to come on a plane to the landing strip next to this place. And it's the well, only- they make it very clear that these girls are very rich, but, but it's this weird thing. They're like, well, good thing we have a landing strip right next to this thing. And they're like, there's no cars. So they got to be like, if we got to get out. We got to get to the landing strip. And, and they, they land on like a lake. They, well, they No, they land on it. It's a, it's a, there's like a landing strip, like yeah. a, a ground. But this funny is like, they're like, Hey, uh, pilot man, you can come with us. And then the asshole rich guy's like, no, we can't. They're there for like days on end. The pilot's just hanging out. Like it's weird shit like that. Um, it also like, I know David Hess didn't write it, but he obviously directed it. Is you and I've watched a million slashers for all our listeners. Like, usually a big part of it is like horny, horny women in particular, right? And this, I think, is one of the most extreme of that. Of like, this is it's a fa- so this fantasy world of like, of uh, David Hess in a way where it's like every, every, I keep calling sorority girls, but like, they're all just like, chomping at the bit for sex like but but to a ridiculous degree like there's the, so much flesh in this oh movie. my god dude but i mean it it feels like the product of a guy who was over in italy making shit like like house by the edge of the park oh yeah and like you can feel the influence and the really kind of gnarly exploitation vibe that this movie owns it's 
it's really for the heads only. Like you're not going to show this to a normal person and expect them to get it, especially once you get into the last 20 minutes. Now I will say once the cops show up, it takes on a whole kind of uh, new level of like horniness because like these cops come and they are basically assigned to stay with them after somebody's it's unclear after somebody's murdered and then they start banging these girls, which again, you're watching it and you're like, are they, how old are these girls supposed to be? None of it makes any sense, but the, the actual violence is pretty great. The last like 20 or so minutes is a lot of fun because it, again, it hits that like kind of shrieking hysteria that either something like a Toby Hooper movie or like the these Italian productions that David Hess was working on kind of reached that a lot of their American counterparts couldn't because they were either like a studio product or they were trying to be sold to to a very like stereotypical, let's say, American, you know, horror fan, where this is like kind of operating on its own wavelength a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. The other one that we we dug into that you like quite a bit more, an early Canon Films uh, entry, New Year's Evil, uh, which is, I don't even know how to describe this movie because it's not really a slasher. Well, we talked about it. It's more giallo, right? It's, it's American has, giallo. It, yeah, yeah, it has the setup. And it's it's one of those movies that, so when I first saw it, it must have been like 10 years ago, I... Um, I thought it was a slasher. Like I'd, I'd been kind of told it was. And with the cover, I'm like, oh, cool. It's going to be another holiday slasher. I love holiday slashers. And I had that in mind and I just didn't like it. So I d- it didn't give me any of that. Right. And watching it, I mean, again, it's an American giallo. Um, but once you kind of, once I got on its wavelength, I like really enjoyed it specifically because you spend the majority of the film with the killer um, evil. It's really weird. And he, but it's, I like his setup. Like he changes costumes. He's like, he got this whole thing and, and it, it re- seduces women. It, well, it reminds me a lot of, um, again, in a Hitchcock, in a Hitchcocky way where he can change, um, he can change the perspective of the audience and the identification very quickly. Like we did with psycho, but like you're watching this film. Like, oh my, this guy sucks. He's evil. And then all of a sudden he's getting chased by bikers and you're on his side. You know, I don't think the film did it purposely, but it really like pulls you into this weird skeezy world. And and it's really funny because I was watching it. Like, this seems like a Jacob kind of movie because it's got um, this punks. Like, well, punks, but also just like that driving skid row of L.A., which I don't oh, know, yeah. like the Vice City kind of shit. Yeah, know? it almost it feels like it takes place down the block from Vice Squad. Yeah. Sorry, Vice Squad. Yeah. But it's it. My, I think, issue with the movie as a whole is that. It feels like I do like all the texture that you're you're describing. Like I love this whole like new wave punk version of like Dick Clark's like you know New Year's rocking, rocking yeah. New Year's Eve countdown. I love all the behind the scenes stuff going on where they're pushing this female you know DJ to host it, even though like evil's calling in. Uh, his his because uh, his whole gimmick is that he's killing people one for every time zone New of Year's across the time zones, mm-hmm. which is that's kind of neat. Good yeah. for you. Now here's the thing about that. I I was 
probably thinking about this too much is that I was like, man, getting the timing right on that would probably be a real chore. Like you would have to get that shit like down to the minute, let's say. Um, but like that shit's cool. There's a weird subplot with like her son who's suicidal. He's that kind of goes nowhere. Well, it's, it's well, it's all, I mean, it's, it's not great, but it's connected in that the, the weird theme is the dad and the son are on the same side of, they've never been appreciated by her that she's the star. She's the one bringing in the money and the whole thing. It begins with, and it's, it's her son, Zach, who's the, you know, grant from uh uh, killer clowns from outer space. Um, yeah. And he, he tells her, I got a part in this TV pilot and it's revealed that it's like without her help, but she doesn't hear him. Like she's so caught up in her career. And then at the end of the film, when you find out the killer is her husband, who's been doing all this stuff says, did you even know like your son got this part? And it, the film almost seems to side with the guys for a bit weirdly where it's like oh man she should be a better mother oh yeah it's it paints weird. her as like this this like almost like shitty like absentee like right. matriarch that you're like but she's like the breadwinner it's yeah. like really fucking weird it's like and let she her seems do her fucking cool and she also everyone like, loves actually her. seems kind of concerned about all of it i don't know again it's a really really strange movie because it is trying to do this like melodramatic thing in the middle of a guy just stalking around in a big goofy mask stabbing chicks with fucking a, a switchblade yeah you know? yeah but I just, yeah, again i just it was one of the films i got on the wavelength and i was like yep i'm in now you said that you did speaking of New Year's movies, like that you actually got to revisit Bloody New Year. So I had never seen it. Um, Norman J. Warren and director of Inseminoid. It's a really weird movie. Um and it's technically not a slasher. Um watching it, it's it's almost a haunted house film. And and like the gimmick is that the house itself, the monsters are like, they're coming out of the walls. Like the house is like the house is literally attacking them. Um, and it's very British and very, very weird. But the thing that I really loved about this movie, I would like took a note. I'm like, I just want to steal this for a script I'm writing is that, um, there's a scientific reason this is happening. So these people, they're on a, they're on a little, uh, leisurely, uh, boat, uh, cruise on the afternoon in a small little dinghy. It starts to sink as one does, as one does, uh, it starts to sink and they go to this Island. And when they get there, they realize that, you know, as mentioned earlier, it's a time warp, right? So they're stuck in this time warp, but it's because, and they, you, you keep seeing these like uh, news reports from the past. It was this experimental um, Navy plane that was supposed to, it's almost like event horizon. And that it was like this technology that was going to like bend space and time and it crashed and it basically almost like a, almost like an episode of lost created this like time loop sphere that now everyone who dies there is stuck as a ghost in like repeating. So like what a cool pitch, just a pretty poor execution all told. It's a slog too. All of his movies have this very exploitative kind of vibe to them. Like in Seminoid is clearly like an alien knockoff yeah. with a big penis monster that's just like running around like raping chips, chicks on a spaceship. But it becomes, it basically makes the subtext of alien text of like, it's a an, an entire movie about rape. Yeah. You know, but did you ever see prey 
the movie he made with the hermaphroditic aliens that it played at uh, Fantastic Fest. Vinegar Syndrome put it out. That one's pretty cool because it has a lot of weird, like, queer stuff going on in it and everything. 90s, 80s? 70s. I think, like, late 70s, I want to say. But, like, he was just a British filmmaker who made a lot of these very high-concept, low-budget sort of riffs that I don't think entirely work, but are kind of fascinating as their own little unit. Well, cause again, like if, if this is an indication, the idea is so original. Like it, it kind of remind, weirdly reminded me of legend of hell house, the Richard Matheson film, mm. um, where it's like, there's a scientific reason for the ghosts. Like it's being haunted, but it's like almost like a quater mask kind of thing. Like it's mixed with us. Yeah. And I, I love that kind of shit. So I'm like, I would love like a, a another version of this film that is, is done better with that same idea. Um, but I also, I mean, the film we just can't forget about was the nadir of this week, um, Santa Claus. Now, I had a great time. It is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, it's it's barely a movie. Well, I mean, this is John Russo. Yep. Um, the notorious... Uh, Yinzer shit heel who has long, you know, tried to take credit for Night of the Living Dead as the original author of it, you know, ad- adapted it into a novel, yeah. wrote a series of pulp novels, uh, made, you know, films with Bill Hinsman, you know, the 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 one uh, cemetery ghoul uh, from Night of the Living Dead. They made Flesh Eater, which was essentially their like super trashy kind of riff on the have you ever seen flesh eater no it's it's a thing (laughs) like that's another exhumed one that they played in the middle of the 24-hour fest one year that i was just like what am i half asleep (laughs) this was an afternoon movie it was like number three or four wow where it was just like what the fuck am i even watching here it's just like all of his movies are like that movie he wrote and Hinsman directed, and the same with The Majorettes, which is a movie that I think that you should check out. Again, not good, but this closer to Santa Claus mm-hmm. in that, like, The Majorettes was an adaptation of one of Russo's books. Hinsman directs it, and it's very much a, like, straight-ahead slasher um, where, like, a guy's just going through and killing a bunch of Majorettes. And... But it's it's shot in a bunch of, like, Pittsburgh backyards, so there's a bunch of, like, above-ground swimming pools and shit. It's really weird. Kind of in the same way that Santa Claus is, is that you watch it, and you're like, oh, you you, you shot this for the price of, like, a bratwurst in, in you know, the the at a tailgate at Three Rivers Stadium. You know, like, it's, it's, not, it's not a good movie, but, man, it packs in the sleaze. This is the, like... Is this the sleaziest? I, Silent Night, Deadly Night might still be number one, but this one is like really, really, really skeezy. Well, this one has like a, a weird, like they try to sell like a plucky warmth, like a real warmth of, of like the main character, Debbie Rashawn and her children and even Wayne when he's trying to pretend to be nice. Um, and it's like really strange, like tonally, but in the world it lives in, which is this like you know, Z level filmmaking. It's funny. It's like, you're watching the making of a really terrible film, which is also available. It's this weird meta narrative. Like I looked it up. Like they're they're Like the soft core thing they're shooting is also like a DVD you can get. 
Really? Yeah. It's like the... Uh, um, I wonder if it's on that TerraVision Blu-ray I that think just came out. I have it, so we can check it out. It's really bizarre. And, but watching the film, I was like, if this is the kind of movie that I would have found on Skinamax in like sixth grade, and it has the buildup of like um, Patrick Still Lives, where it's like, when do we get to see her naked? It's like the, the you yeah, know how, like, how, how porn does that, where it's like she's your main character, but she's clothed, and then you got to wait till the end of the movie. It's like exactly how softcore porn is usually shaped, right? Well, and this is like closer to Maniac than anything else in that it's about an obsessed like psycho fan yeah. who's like stalking this B-grade actress. Really like Z-grade I was going to say Z-grade, yeah. Um, and like has like he's talking to mannequins and doing all this weird shit that was kind of like Joe Spinell and maniac, but not nearly as like lived in, let's say as Spinell and maniac, but it's, um, it's not good, but it's sort of interesting on like, if you're into this, this kind of very bottom of the barrel schlock. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a really again like for how horrible it was like it moved better than good night uh sorry it moved better than to all good night you know it actually oh, for sure. it strangely flowed better and it definitely gave you the goods quicker in terms of even some even some good some fun kind of cheap cheap kills you know um but the movie that really like this time around I I liked the first time I saw it with you on VHS but really enjoyed this time was home sweet home and yeah, to bring it back to Thanksgiving. Another movie that I don't think I got on the wavelength. It was late the first time we watched it at your house. Yeah, and I think we were like three movies deep by yeah, the time we got. We to were. It. I was. We were probably. I was drunk probably. And I was like, okay, but this one is like bananas. And you have, you have, um, body you know, by Jake. Body by Jake as this like you know as you mentioned earlier, very like PCP'd out crazy guy who escapes from a mental institution and. It's just straightforward. Like he's just running people down. The opening sequence is hilariously amazing. But my favorite part injecting of, PCP into his tongue. Into it into his tongue. And he is a just full on obviously he's like brick, you know, brick house of like just violence. He looks like a pro wrestler. Oh yeah. And well he yeah, he's got a real like that body of that that era of wrestlers. But there's this character in it that I think is just like the highlight is a character called The Mistake. He's named his son the mistake, the guitarist. And oh, is this the kid with the the guitar like and the amplifier mime, on his back and, and the, the mind makeup. makeup? If you look Ugh. it up, I could never hear what you said. I looked it up on IMDb. His character name is the mistake, and everyone, including his dad, hates him. And I, I was, I was like, well, he's a mime who does nothing but carry around a guitar with an amplifier strapped to his back. Would you like him? No, he's. I ve- certainly fucking wouldn't. He's very annoying. Um. And you have his dad, like he keeps coming in, like scaring people and like playing his guitar. Like he, he, he said, it's amp on his back. And I had the, I had the subtitles on cause it was kind of pretty shitty uh, version of it. And one of the people says the mistake, he's got to go, man, bury him deep. And I was like, that's the meanest fucking thing. That's your child. <laughs> it's like, they're like, and they're all like the whole film was they're like, man, if I catch up with him, I'm going to beat his ass. I'm like, that's his kid. Like he thinks, what do you he mean? is a fucking mime, though. Yeah, it's it's so fucking funny, man. And do you know who the kid is? No, Vanessa Shaw. 
The actress from um, Hills Have Eyes, the remake, the older sister. No. Angel is Vanessa Shaw. Wait, really? And from from 310 to Yuma. Oh, shit. Yep. That's wild. Isn't that crazy? This is also one of those movies, too, where, like, it's clear that one of the producers just owned a ranch. Yeah. And they're like, we'll shoot it here because it's shot in, like, New Mexico, like, in the middle of nowhere on this weird, like, almost, like, Hispanic... Hacienda style ranch for Thanksgiving where body by Jake comes home and murders dude. The best kill is when he, Uh, he fucking slams that dude in the fucking, the the, the hood of the car. It's so hilarious. I laugh so fucking loud. And then I, I think I told you like I paused, I had to go to work. And then when I restart, I was watching it on YouTube and I restarted it. It did that scene again. And I'm like, oh, I mean, the timing was just perfect because out of the corner of the frame, out of nowhere, he just see Jake go and just suplex. It was he suplexes the car. It was crazy. Um, But staying on Thanksgiving, um, we got Blood Rage. Another weird fucking movie. Kind of inexplicable, it, to be frank. It's I don't know who wrote it. It feels like it's a fever dream, a lot of it. Well, and this is one of those movies that was like made in like 83 or 84 yeah. and not released until like 87 or 80, 88. 87, yeah. When like nobody gave a shit about slashers anymore. Um, it looks, it's very cheap, but at the same time like is surprisingly better made than the majority of the movies we're talking about. It's, it's like the best gore in all the films. The fucking, well, it's Ed French. Oh yeah. You know? So like all the kills are amazing. Um, there's also like met like multiple versions included on that arrow. Yeah. Uh, Blu-ray release that, you know, I watched for it because this movie I also saw in 35 millimeter for the first time, but that was a terror Tuesday one. And it was under the title. That's where I saw it. Uh, nightmare at shadow woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it Which was a cool like, title. it was, were you at the screening where they were talking about how like the print was clearly messed with by the projectionist who like went through and cut out material that he thought was like objectionable. Yep. So it almost plays like a TV cut of the movie. And then on the Arrow Blu-ray, you have the quote-unquote slasher composite cut where the movie's just called Slasher. And it's, like, no lie, maybe the ultimate slasher. Like, it's so fucking good. Like, in terms of, like, the ultimate, like, not Halloween, not Black Christmas, which we haven't really even hit upon yet. Oh, we'll, we'll end it up there. Uh, but, I mean, like... It's sort of like the ultimate like junk slasher because it has that whole sequence at, at the drive-in at the beginning where the twins like kill that dude. Well, one of them does, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, it has that amazing synth score that almost like you 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 could release that album today on like Bandcamp or Spotify and it would become like an overnight sensation. Yeah, huge it's synth so wave, fucking yeah. awesome, but then. You know, it, it. you jump forward in time again to where you have twins. You know, one basically frames the other because the one, there's one bad twin and there's one, I don't know if you call them good twin, but just like almost like nebbish twin yeah. to where the, the bad twin frames the nebbish twin, sends him away to the mental institution. He, you know, gets out to try and like prove uh, that he's not the bad one. Also... 
in this version of the movie, I can't remember if it's in the Nightmare at Shadow Woods uh, cut that we saw on the big screen, but um, the whole like interior monologue of the psychiatrist. Oh, it's so it's in this version. It's in this it, version. It becomes almost like avant garde, where she she like questions like his whole state of being. It's like a three minute sequence of just this woman's interior monologue. And you're like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? Well, she's also like narrating just what's happening. She's like, and then, and then I talked to his mother and you see her go like, it almost seems like they just didn't record the dialogue. Yeah. Like they forgot to do it. Well, I guess we'll just do it. We just ADR it later. Weird. And then, you know, he gets out and it becomes Basically, a slasher sequence in Shadow Woods, where the the, the you know alternate yeah. title, the housing there. community. Yeah, it's like a, a a small like condo community, yeah. we'll yeah. say, where the mom Louise Lasser in one of the strangest performances, and not just like horror history, but like cinema history. Yeah, like full stop. It's like her and like Susan Tyrell. It's so fucking bizarre. Where she's like. She feels like she's having an actual nervous breakdown on screen. Her teeth are super yellow. She's constantly drinking. She looks like an ashtray. Yeah, like, she it's looks really horrible. Yeah. She, but she's constantly screaming for her boyfriend, who's the 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 basically the superintendent of like the the uh, apartment complex. But it's you know she's having Thanksgiving dinner there with like a, her new boyfriend and and and. The, the bad twin and then a couple friends or whatever. And then the, 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 the escaped twin infiltrates it and it becomes just a bloodbath. And man, the kills in this movie are fucking phenomenal. Yeah. They're really, like, there's, they're so gory. There's the, the um, really great decapitation, not live, but you see the head. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. Like wrapped up um, with like, maybe Christmas lights, I think. Yes. Yeah. From Christmas the, lights, the hand getting cut off, just gripping with, the old style, dude, the can of old style beer. Falling into, falling into orange shag carpet. Yeah. It's, it's talk so about awesome. texture, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the, all of the machete kills, but then there's also just really, again, this movie is like a true face melter because you just one scene to the next, you're looking at it being like, Again, kind of like to all good night. Did aliens direct this that have never like it's their interpretation of human beings mm-hmm. and not actual people because it's so bonkers weird. The the whole fucking diving board sex scene, it's it's doing and then like the whole while while like everybody's getting fucking murdered, like a bunch of people are just playing like these primitive video games the whole time. Strange movie, strange, strange movie. And then you get to the super grim psychotic ending of every, like that reaches again, kind of like Toby Hooper level, like shrieking hysterics involves suicide. Like, Bat and then it just movie. ends. Absolute batshit movie. And then it just ends just like, whoop, and what well, ends in the most like, depressing note where like this movie's moving along and really entertaining, really weird has the great one liners of like, that's not cranberry sauce. Like it's a totally strange, but like totally entertaining. And then the last five minutes you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like it feels like you're watching a nervous breakdown. Yep. It's got, it's got, I would love to have been on the set, you know, just to get like, or to go back in time and just see like, 
there's really bad vibes that come off this movie, like unhealthy, <laughs> like unhealthy vibes. Yeah. Oh, there are some serious drugs being yeah. being had uh, what, during the making of this movie. Because also, like, the killer looks like if you were to read a Bret Easton Ellis novel <laughs> and just imagine what these people looked like in the actual '80s. That's the killer in, in Blood Rage. He's got a meaty face. Real bizarre. Yeah. Like, yeah. not really good looking, but I'm not sure if he's ugly. It's just a weird face. And he just kind of looks like a weird yuppie. And yep. he's just carrying a machete the whole time. Oh, and there's a whole point where, like, the 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 uh, employees of the mental institution who come to investigate. And the one's just fucking smoking weed the whole time. He's like, oh, man, I'm trying to chill out. <laughs> and then he gets fucking... Im- <laughs> <laughs> totally shish kebabbed with a machete. <laughs> Bonkers movie. But I think our last film on this list, obviously the one we have not talked about, as you mentioned, is Black Christmas. The ultimate classic. Just a, every time I watch it, Stone Cold perfection. I mean, like, it's, it's I mean, it is the, it is the proto slasher, you know, like it's not quite, but like so much stuff you could see made its way into like Halloween and, well, there's also the notorious story that John... Car- Wait, was it Irwin Yoblins or was it John Carpenter ripped off Bob Clark's idea for a sequel to create Halloween? Because the it's in Jason Zineman's book. Oh, it was, it was probably Yoblins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's Yoblins is the Because it wasn't a Halloween. It was Babysitter Murders first. Yeah. And then he's the one who said Naked Halloween. Yeah, so it's like... Uh, it was like, uh, you know, you have the the killer from Black Christmas goes away at the end of it, goes to a mental institution and breaks out and then kills a bunch of babysitters on Halloween. And that was Bob Clark's original idea for, for a sequel to Black Christmas was that it was like he returns on Halloween. Oh. And then the Yoblins basically ripped it off to, to make John Carpenter's classic. It's this movie... Um apocryphal at this point yeah um but regardless i mean it's just this movie is fucking hilarious like laugh out loud funny i mean margot kidder besides being just incredibly fucking sexy in this movie is really really funny doing this like drunk thing and there's also i think some of the most effective like horror scenes in like slasher history I think just because you, you don't see the killer pretty much ever, but there's the scene of him, her basically the, you know, our final girl, Olivia Hussey looking through the crack of the door, seeing that eye. And then just like this full scream, this like, uh, this like unhinged, like primal scream. And then it just, it affects me every single time I watch it. Yeah. It, it's, Everything about this movie works, and it's totally Bob Clark making a Bob Clark film from the the goofy humor to all of the character actors showing up from, like, John Saxon to Les Carlson, um, the snowy Canadian vibes to it, the den mother just hiding her bottles of booze. Like, it's... it. Everything about it is of a piece, and that's why it's like a timeless classic at this point. Like, I, I'm the same way you are. I watch this movie every time, and I go, oh, shit, that's right. It's perfect. Yeah, it's – and then we talked 
off mic, but like it has one of my favorite shots in like slasher history too is um during one i think the first phone call when you find out that he's been cranking cranking them and saying these horrible things it's this long take just pan across all the women in the house um as they're just like listening to this guy say the most fucked up shit on the phone and it's like, it's such a like amazing shot cuz it just like puts you into this world immediately of like and just the danger that they feel even from just having to hear that and then it just gets worse yeah you know 100% and then Kira D'Elia is the worst in this. A great actor, but just like all the, most the men un- in this, unlikable person. Yeah, he and Peter, I'm like get the fuck out of here, dude. And I would give my life for Margot Kidder. Oh my god, drunk as hell, and frankly Olivia Hussey too. Like mm, my lord. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's like the whole like the gaslighting of like Kira D'Elia too, just the shit he pulls on her when she's like. Hey, I'm gonna have an abortion. I don't want to fucking marry you. And he is just like, "Well, you haven't asked me." It's like again, it, it, it ages well in that he's supposed to be terrible. Yeah, one hundred percent. You want to get to questions? Questions about 1984's Silent Night, Deadly Night. Martin, top three holiday horror movies. And Go. By, by holiday, we mean like Christmas era, like Christmas and Thanksgiving. Well, the, 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 the you know, the ones we just covered. Yeah. New Year's, Thanksgiving, Christmas, etc. I mean, number one, Black Christmas. Yeah, like that's indisputable. And then number two, Silent Night of the Night. I just think for like pure, you know, face melter fun craziness. Uh, we didn't even really talk about the Silent Night Deadly Night sequels, which get progressively stranger. They're all over the fucking place. I love part three with like half of like David Lynch's like crew and cast yeah. in one in this weird movie with a Bill Bill Mosley directed by Monty Hellman. Yeah. With, Fucking Monty Helmet, dude. It's so a weird. Two-lane blacktop. Yep. And um, cockfighter fame. I love, or dude, I love cockfighter, man. The movie's great. I would do a whole Monty Hellman episode if you I so mean, desire. Dude, I like... Um, uh, and he didn't make many movies. I like, so. the, I like the shooting a lot. 
The and, shooting's rate. And uh, ride... Um, ride the whirlwind. Ride the, that, both those criteria. You ever see Iguana? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I, lo- I love him. ass movie. Um, he, do you know that he, before he passed, had a um, Airbnb in California where literally... <laughs> literally, it was like a, a normal Airbnb, like 100, 200 bucks a night, but... He and his wife would make you breakfast and yeah. talk movies with you the next day. Yeah. They would, would hang out with that's you. That's so fucking cool. I'm mad that I never I, went. I know that would have been the most amazing. And because he was like a, he was a film teacher till he passed. Like he would like. He was also supposed to make a Django sequel mm-hmm. at some point. Yep. But yeah. And then number three. is Wait, three is the one where Bill Mosley has the dome on his with head. With the where brain. You can see his brain. Because yeah. he plays Ricky, the little brother. Yes. And then four is Yuzna. That weird, like sleazy one, and five, is which the... isn't really. It was like a different movie yeah. that they just named Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's for the initiation. Yes, and then five is the doll maker, the toy maker, toy maker. Sorry, with uh, with M- Mickey, Mickey Rooney. Rooney. Yeah, um, that one's fun. I like that one, um, but also it feels like a totally different movie. Again, it it feels like Brian Usno was like, okay, one through three are like this are like part of the same series. Like you know, two obviously canon is, as yeah. it were. Um, but I think I mean if garbage not, days, not the films we just uh, if I would pull in Gremlins, not a slasher, but I mean Gremlins is just ultimate classic. Yeah, well, I think we're For, I think we're trying to stick more to like the stuff we're talking about now. But yeah, Gremlins would be ultimate. I mean, yeah, if I'm being real, Gremlins is my number one. If it's, we're if we're so including shit like that, because we didn't even talk about like you know Tales from the Crypt. With you know, and all through the house, yeah, you know both the both versions, the seventies version, and then the Larry Drake starring uh, uh, episode for the HBO series uh, was one of the great killer Santa mm-hmm. moments as well. He's he's fucked up looking. In he's that. so gross with oh, those my, fucking teeth. His teeth are all broken up. He looks like Clint Howard. <laughs> uh, so so um. What else, what so our number one would be Gremlins in this respect. Yeah, and then if we're if we're yeah. including that, Gremlins is number one. Yeah, I mean Gremlins, I think is like possibly my favorite creature feature of all time. Like it's the one I've just watched the most. Yeah, I find that movie insanely entertaining. I love Joe Dante. The creature design it is amazing. It's it has that um, like super bleak, like dark tone that that comes up with like you know. Phoebe Cates talking about her dad dressing up as Santa and going down the chimney and breaking his neck. And then them finding three mm. days later, like after he stinks up the whole house because his corpse is stuck in there. Like it's just weird shit like that. Killing the killing the mean old lady and shooting her out, yeah, the, out the window. Out the window. Um, stabbing uh, the, the future mayor of Baltimore when he's just a, a, a lowly science teacher with yep. a hypodermic needle. Like there's a real mean streak to gremlins. And a Spielberg production. And a, in an Amblin Spielberg production. From was also 1984, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, same same year, Silent Night Death. Nobody really got mad at Gremlins though. They went and gave it all the money, but they didn't get mad at it. Oh man, and that movie's just fucking bananas. Um, so number one would be that. Yeah, number if we're including that, number one would be Gremlins. Two would be Black Christmas. Three would probably be Silent Night Deadly Night. Um, yeah. Because it's just, it's such a sleazy good time. And Black Christmas, as we've kind of already gone through, is just like, it, 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 it's a perfect movie. Like, it, it, it's the pro, the, the, uh, uh, Urtext, uh, uh, proto slasher, 
as it were. What do you? Th- I mean, obviously the newest Blumhouse one sucked. What do you think of the 2006? The 06 one? It's great. Oh, from the X Files guys. Yep. Yeah. Like like uh, James Wong. Yeah. Yep. Oh, oh, it's fucking awesome. Also very sleazy, and frankly, whew, some of the hottest girls like ever. Yep. It's it's crazy because like when I first saw it, I didn't like it that much. I saw it in the theater opening night. Um, it's super stylish and it's, but the cool thing is, is it takes all of, it's all the lines that the killer says in the first movie about Billy and Agnes and then makes it the narrative. Like yeah. it, it, it literalizes the craziness of what that guy's saying is it's ideas like he probably slept with his sister. There's a baby, all this kind of stuff. And they go deep into that mythology and they, he's like jaundiced with like the yellow skin. It's weird. It's to be frank. The good version of Rob Zombie's Halloween. It, yeah. To where it takes all of the stuff that they talk about in the original and, yeah, just literalize it. And, like, did you, did, did Billy need a backstory? No. But Glenn Wong turns it into, like, a, a straight up, like, almost like, again, an EC Comics, uh, yep. like, nightmare, uh, a horror comic and it's it's really awesome and the, yeah all this like super colorful yeah super like low angles and, like fisheye lenses and like Those really weird transition or like really good gore yeah it's um, i think that movie is undervalued when it first came out people fucking hated it but I, I hated it's now it. kind of garnered a cult following and i i, I quite enjoy it it's, it's it's really its own thing you yeah. know and that's why i like it the less said about uh the most recent Black Christmas, exactly. the better. Just an absolute dog shit movie. Well, and what really sucked about that is, you know, I like a campus slasher, you know? Like, the setup and idea of it being, like, a fraternity with, like, I'm like, oh, it's the Skulls meets Black Christmas? Awesome. But it's the dumbest fucking performatively woke fucking movie. It's like it's if stupid. you... It, it's sort of like if you let an AI Twitter bot write... <laughs> A movie, yeah, and if it just shit out a horror movie like that, it's like Black make Christmas it topical but really thin and stupid. It fucking sucks, dude. dude it's, it's so and it's bad. PG thirteen, PG thirteen. They shot it like in Australia. It's supposed to be New America, Zealand, New think. Zealand, and it looks so weird. Yeah, it's like clearly not America. It's just bizarre. Yeah, Imogen Pooch is like forty five in it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's embarrassing. Yeah, to be frank, like yeah. I I sat through it in the theater and I remember staring at the screen and being like, go fuck yourself. Like, yeah, I, I I'll never watch this movie again and you should at like every dcp of that version of black christmas should be burned and and the thing that also sucks is that like i like the director's other movies yeah you know mm-hmm. like they're they're pretty good double feature and here's what i'm gonna say on this one just do a christmas horror double feature don't be like oh it has to be sat with silent night deadly night or whatever just program your own christmas horror double feature for us can I program another movie with one of these films? Sure, as this, long this, as it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's your double feature. I don't give a fuck. It's not only Christmas, but... We're not actually doing this. Yeah, too, yeah. So. <laughs> but I would do Blood Rage with uh, Strangers Pray by Night. Um, really, really similar setup. In that it's like RV park and versus houses, but it's the whole thing with like the pool. It's it's rare you see that with a, that kind of location for a slasher. I feel is like quite rare. It's a weird place to put it. Also, both films have weird family dynamics. Um, I also love Strangers Pray by Night. 
That um, pool sequence is fucking amazing. Dude, um, Lewis Pullman, it's brutal. It's really good. Yeah, he gets stabbed like 95 times in that. And um, it's I love the soundtrack in that. Cause I love how it turned... You know, it's almost like Alien to Aliens. It's like this, like, slow burn, like, really, like, low action, like, home invasion story to a full-on slasher, you know? And just completely expands on the world. I love it. There's the the trilogy coming out. Yeah. That Rennie Harlan did. Yeah. Yeah. Hot take? I like uh, Prey by Night more than the original. Me too. And and the original's pretty cool. For enjoyment's sake and rewatchability. Yeah. Easily part two, I think. But I just never... I've never really been able to get into Brian Bertino as a filmmaker 100%. I I like the way his movies look and the tone of them and everything, but none of them have ever, like, blown my hair back, let's say. Or what little hair I have. And great pitches. Like, you can see it's on paper. Like, wow, that's a great idea for a movie. And it's like, "Eh, it doesn't quite get there. Exactly, yeah. yeah. If I were to do a Christmas horror double feature, so this one's a touch outside of the box, but I think it'll work, I'm, and I'm going to stick with your idea of pairing one of the these older, quote-unquote, kind of sleaze classics with like a newer movie. I would do April Fool's Day with Thanksgiving mm. and watch them back-to-back because I think they would play really well together because April Fool's Day has that kind of comedic tone where it's almost a parody of these movies, mm-hmm. but not quite. It's and, late, it's late enough in the cycle. Yeah. It's, it's 86, right? So it's past the original amazing cast. Biff is in it. It's super fun. Um, again, is sort of sending these movies up, but still totally works as a slasher. And that with the same way that I think Eli's movie works, as like both a comedy and just a straight up body count movie, I think pairing them together would be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I like that. Or happy birthday, or if you wanted to do a triple feature, do happy birthday to me mm. with them and just like totally, you know, just burn the house down. Happy birthday to me, one of the weirdest fucking slashers ever. I um, it's it's really weird because it also again reminds me of a lot of Thanksgiving and that you have this idea of this click. The idea of a click of these students. It's like after a group of people, you know, and... Well, it also ends in a weird staged kind of like dinner table scene. Like Exactly. Like, and you could see... And it's cool. Like, that's why I... I and we both know, like, Eli Roth is like a student of... Obviously, he's had these horror documentary series and stuff. Like, he knows his shit. And he's pulling from the big boys. But he's also pulling from, like... I consider Happy, De- Happy Birthday to be more of a deeper cut... For like normal fans, oh one hundred percent, you know, like I mean, we've seen it a bunch of times, but like, like it's definitely you could tell he loves these films. Directed by Charles Bronson's, uh, yeah, Jay Lee Thompson, yeah, Jay Lee Thompson, his 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 like kind of his collaborator during the late canon years on some of the fucking sleaziest movies that Bronson ever did. Stuff like The Evil That Men Do. Real gnarly transmissions. But he was also like before that making. Epics for fucking Hollywood. He did Guns and Navarone. Yeah. I mean, like, he's a, he's really, a real journeyman. Really weird career. Remake. Silent Night, Deadly Night. I mean, they kind of did that one. Yeah. Um, but this is kind of a, a null question at this point. Or maybe we could say, like, what of these films would that we discussed today would be, like, fun to play with? Um, honestly, I'll just say it again. I think um, Bloody New Year. I would just take, I, I just liked the idea so much. And it's one of those things where it's like, it would come out and no one, like I'd never heard of it until I did watched it for this episode. 
it would come out and people are like, oh, what a cool, what a cool idea for a movie. And they wouldn't even really know it's a remake, you know, kind of thing. That's a good one. That's yeah. what I would do. And just like really play into that time travel thing and the idea of like time restarting, almost like a record skipping kind of thing. Like I would probably take out the, all the stuff of the house being physical and I just, it just doesn't meld well. Very with, strange. With that. I know they're trying to say like it, it, dist- it again, it, it threw time and matter kind of like into disarray, but I would do that one. I'm going to go outside of the box and not do a remake or series or anything and just say, I just want an edition of Home Sweet Home that's not a VHS tape that is smells it, like cigarettes. Is there a, was it shot in, in three in four, three, or is there a, is there a, is that pan and scan? I don't know. Yeah. Couldn't I mean, tell you. I mean, it came out in 81, so it's, I mean, it wouldn't have been probably straight to VHS because that's, that's so early. Because that was, that was a little early for, like, they weren't really doing that yet. Because, like, what, Sledgehammer was, like, one of the first slashers straight to VHS shot on. and Yeah. But, I mean, Media Home Entertainment put it out. And they primarily just did, like, bought the rights to stuff okay. to put into video stores. I don't know. I know that shot on film for this sure. is one of those movies that kind of is, like, the 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 backstory of it is sort of lost to time. I know because I have done some research on my own into the rights stuff, and I know that it, I the rights are tangled up and might be with Lionsgate. I'm not really sure, but like it just it kind of exists, and it's one of those great examples of a movie that reached one primitive format in VHS and then never made the jump for one reason or another. And now we, it's hard to see, like you watched it on YouTube. I have a tape of it that I bought off of like eBay. And like, I guarantee you even some of the most diehard like slasher fans have never seen home sweet home. They probably know about it, but it's just simply that hard to see. It's really worth watching. I love, I love, I really like this movie a lot. Also bonkers. It's, but it's just, it's a good time. Oh yeah, you know, just like if you, you watch that with a bunch of friends with some beers and shit, yeah. Like I would, I I wonder if like Harry Guero from Exhumed could track down an actual print of it. It's because somewhere. I'd love to see it. It, it probably, might be. It, it might not be. In, probably played in New York, kind of thing. You can just picture it on like Forty Second Street or like the the. It might be one of those like very tiny independent productions where like they four walled it somewhere. Yeah, it was in Cleveland, exactly, yeah. New Mexico, where yeah. they shot it or whatever. So, face melter, yay, nay. For a salad night of the night, yes, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, it, like indisputable. It's it's like, like you said, like this is the kind of movie that, you know, it, it's so offensive too that like there. I have <laughs> wildly like, so. Well, I have like friends I know that like because just politically and just like there's just stuff in it that I think people would be really disgusted by like watching today child abuse. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, but it's like, like you said, it is just like a smorgasbord of just like debauchery and just like human evil. And it's actually uncomfortable. Yeah. Like as I get old, like before in my twenties, when I first saw it, you giggle at it and you're like, I can't believe that they did this. I mean, I'm 40 now and I watch and I go, I can't believe they did this. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's, it's a nasty little piece of work that, yeah, if I were to show this to, like, 
normal human beings, they would be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yep. It's like the same way as like, not quite, this is an extreme, obviously, comparison, but it's like if you were to show somebody Cannibal Holocaust, they'd be like, so uh, are you okay? Do you... Do you have a therapist? Yes. Or, or should I find one for you? <laughs> well, Martin, this has been great. We've banged out our 500th slasher episode. Uh, and there'll be, there'll be a 501st. I was going to say, is there any more ground to cover? I'm sure we'll figure it out. Oh, yeah. But I don't even think we know what our next episode is going to be on. It'll we be in the new year. Idea. It's going to be in the new year. But I hope you guys stick around into 2024 uh, for some more secret handshake because we got a whole bunch of shit coming at you. Happy holidays, y'all. See you then. Bye. See your bright eyes flash